Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey guys, welcome to the next episode of the Challenger podcast. Today I'm going to talk to you about the four events that happened. I'm actually it's smiling right now, but it's not gonna be until next week's episode when you get some some content from here. Um, but of course, this is an event that we're going to preview uh, when um, when the, that time sort of comes around. But for now, let's just focus on what we had, and it was as usual a very exciting week. I mean, are there ever really non-exciting weeks on the Challenger Tour? Probably not, right? So yeah, let's head to Brest, which was the only Challenger 100. And actually we had a very surprising winner in uh, Pedro Martinez. Uh, Pedro Martinez, he uh, only had one pro final on hard courts. It was an ITF event in Sharm el Sheikh. So this is, well, the first reason why it's quite stunning that he won the title. Then um, the other thing is that, you know, in 2022 he had zero wins indoors in two matches. This year he hadn't played yet. So yeah, just definitely unexpected. And he beat Benjamin Bonzi, who was actually my pick for the title. And I had a very good uh, week in terms of the predictions. I actually got a point, but you're going to hear about it later. I didn't get it on Bonzi, but um, I think, uh, you know, that was still a fine choice. And Pedro Martinez, who did he beat? Uh, on the way to the final, he beat uh, Jaume Munar. And when he struggled against him, you know, it never really felt like anything else than, okay, two Spanish clay quarters playing each other in the first round. They, It's a dogfight. I mean, what else, what else are you going to get? Actually, he then beat Albot, Pirosh, and then scores the two shocking wins over Lestien and Bonzi. So absolutely well done to Pedro Martinez. And, you know, this is a guy who... When he was in his prime, when he was 40th in the world, like he actually had a very serious forehand and he was also a threat in, uh, I mean, on hard courts at the ATP level. So it's not that shocking, you know, he's definitely better indoors than what we sort of gave him credit for. But yeah, anyway, nothing, nothing really that could help you foresee this. You know, the last few weeks uh, on hard courts, he was bang on average at the challenger level, losing to Billy Harris, winning just three games, by the way, and then more competitive losses to Jacquet and Vavasori. So this is still quite shocking. And um, yeah, some some matches here, the way he was hitting his forehand, it was really vintage Pedro Martinez. And it feels weird to say that because vintage Pedro Martinez, that would have to be like 2021, maybe very early 2022. So, so it's not that long ago. But definitely that, that sort of forehand, that sort of uh, imposing game has been gone. And, um, but yeah, this was, this was truly stunning and definitely a run that I didn't expect given what surface we were playing on. 
then Benjamin Ponzi was the final as I said he uh, was the finalist he, as I said he was my pick for the title he did well although in the second round against uh, Calvin Emery he basically should have gone out he was 4-6 2-4 love 40 down so this was yet another match that Emery has a you know has a chance to beat a great player and he loses and he chokes it happens to him we know that and then he uh, Bonzi beats Ferry and Gaston uh, so I was pretty certain that I was going to be looking at a title winner, you know, as, as he played Martinez in the final. But it turns out that Bonzi was maybe a little of color. Uh, he had um, treatment on his shoulder. But uh, I, I still don't want to take any credit from Martinez. Uh, Bonzi actually mounted a great comeback in the second set. But the sort of final nail in the coffin was Martinez winning the last, uh, winning 10 of the last 11 points to break back and then win the tiebreak 7-1. So that was um, pretty astonishing from the Spaniard. And well, Bonzi still had his moments in the final, but I feel like, you know, looking at it from that perspective of he played Martinez in an indoor challenger final, he will be a bit disappointed to lose because after all that, that should be his kingdom. Uh, but yeah, this was this was Bonzi's fourth final, and actually he, he's had two on the ATP Tour this year and two on the ATP Challenger Tour. Still yet to win one, though. And uh, the semi-finalists, uh, two more Frenchmen, Constant Lestien. Uh, he beat Virtanen in that very high-profile opening round. After he demolished Droguet in the quarters, honestly, I thought that he might be... Well, I also thought that he will be beating Martinez, basically with every round. It was like, okay, so this guy now has to beat Pedro Martinez. And actually they didn't. Uh, kudos to him. And uh, yeah, Lestin actually lost to him in the semis. So a good run, but maybe if he looks at it like Bonzi, you know, I should be beating this guy indoors. But you're not. And then he actually played very well. And uh, Ugo Gaston was the other semi-finalist. Uh, probably has some things, to re- some things to regret in the semis against Bonzi, but still a decent run. You know, the way he sort of very cleanly dispatched Blancano, Cazo, Zapieri maybe less cleanly, but still uh, fairly comfortably. I think that's, that's something great for him. Uh, you know, he's a guy that likes to make it tougher than it should be. So in this case, he didn't lose a tight free setter to Bonzi. Nothing wrong about that, obviously. And uh, when it comes to the doubles in Brest, we had uh, Yuki Bambri and Julian Cash beating Robert Galloway and Albano Olivetti. So um, that's for, for Bambri and Cash that this was actually their second appearance. And the first one was just last week. Well, depending on where you're listening, when, when you're listening to this, so before Brest. And it was an ATP 250 in Stockholm where they made the final. So very good start to this partnership. Uh, if if it if it's gonna last, I mean, if they're gonna play anymore with each other, but I mean, they certainly did very well in these two events, uh, winning three super tiebreakers in a row to uh, to uh, prevail in Brest, which uh, had a sick doubles field for sure. The event, I mean, um, yeah, and then there were also two challenger seventy fives. Actually, none of them in Europe. One in Curitiba and one in Playford. Let's get to Playford, which was actually super exciting. And we got the rematch of the Shenzhen final from last week between James Duckworth and Coleman Wong, which I think is somewhat remarkable, you know, because they had to travel so many miles between China and Australia. So I definitely wasn't expecting that. Uh, you know, James Duckworth maybe, but Coleman Wong? 
And yeah, James Duckworth beat him 7-5-7-5, so a very different final to what we got in Shenzhen, because in Shenzhen, Coleman Wong was desperately fighting to avoid getting double bageled. He basically had to save three match points in a row to avoid getting double bageled. Whereas here, it was just a normal competitive match, actually, and Duckworth ended up winning the title, beating Uchida, Sekuric, Moria, Hijikata and Wong. A bit of an, um, well, I can't really say like a revenge story because he actually beat Sekulic earlier this year, but there, there was a huge classic in Bernie between them. Hijikata, he lost to him in, in Playford last year. So there's the, there's a revenge story. And yeah, just an impressive effort from, from Dakov to go back to back. 14th challenger title, of course, 13th in Shenzhen, 14th in Playford. And um, yeah, five challenger finals this year already, which you probably wouldn't like be able to tell if someone asked you middle of the night you know how many challenger finals does james duckworth have this year you probably wouldn't say five you'd probably say like two or three but that's also because he's been playing like four of them well uh three of them have come in no sorry two of them have come in australia two of them in asia and one of them in mexico so he has been playing you know not in europe not in the sort of main uh, strongest challenger zone but at the same time you know that's that's what he does usually of course that's also that also fits his uh, he, him geographically and he has been doing very well uh, even though until the last couple of weeks it didn't really feel like it uh, I still felt like this this is a bit of a step backwards for Duckworth and that that of course until he won Shenzhen and Playford. Now it's it's not anymore. And speaking of Coleman Wong, I mean the 19-year-old, what a breakthrough he had the past couple of weeks. And uh, Shenzhen, you could probably say that okay, so he played one good match against Atmane, he's had to save matchments against Huang, he got a walkover from Kovacevic, and then he gets destroyed by Duckworth. But what he didn't play for it, I mean, Kokinaki's win, okay, retirement. But he played extremely well in that one, uh, up until Tanasi um, withdrew it to sickness. Schoolkate, he beats him in a free layer of um, three tie breaks, and then he beats Taro Daniel. That was a sick win from um, Colin Wong. And uh, yeah, the relentless aggression, the great serving, the way he just crushes every forehand and, and always tries to go forward. It's, it's a breathtaking game to watch when it's on. But it also can not work out, like against Duckworth in the Shenzhen final, right? But in, in Playford, he actually played a very good match against the Australians, so yeah, not much to regret there. But um, to get two top 100 wins in one event for him at this stage, it's really fantastic. And um, I, I said it last time that I sort of seeing him, I, I sort of wonder if that's how people perceived Fatanuki. And right now, after this week, I would say, yeah, probably. I mean, the, the ball striking talent is, is just unbelievable. And um, we'll see what, where he goes from here. It's also quite uh, weird for me because, you know, when, he, when I watched him in the juniors, he was not an exciting prospect whatsoever. Uh, at least he didn't seem like it. Uh, but now, yeah, he just plays this balls to the wall style and makes it work. And you need a lot of talent to, to do that. And uh, yeah, the semi-finalists, uh, very high profile. Taro Daniel, Rinki Hijikata. Hijikata lost to Duckworth. He was, um, of course, he won uh, the Bernie Challenger earlier this year, which was the, the well, the only uh, Australian one that we got before Playford. And um, yeah, he basically dominated his first three rounds, then lost to Duckworth. 
uh, which is absolutely fine, of course. I, I think, you know, Rinki Hijikata at number 70 in the rankings is definitely a bit overranked. But, you know, to his credit, he did pretty well this week and, uh, yeah, just lost a tight one to Duckworth. This has been an exciting rivalry between them, uh, playing in a lot of these Australian events. Since Playford last year, basically, they've played four times. And Hijikata actually led 3-0, so um, it's good for Duckworth to finally get a win against him, even though he did beat him five years ago. Uh, but, you know, that was a very different Hijikata back then. And Taro Daniel was the other semi-finalist, and he was actually my pick for the title. So for a while, I also thought that I had it. He was blasting, well, bla not only blasting, because it's like with his style, I can't exactly call it blasting. But yeah, he was just making his way through guys like Litu or Shimizu without any issues. But then he loses to Coleman Wong. And uh, you know, to be honest, uh, he definitely could have played that one more aggressively with, with more guts, you know, just try to throw off Wong in any way, which he didn't. He like really did not do that whatsoever. He basically fed the Hong Kong native the ball and said, okay, let's see what you do with it. And yeah, he did wonders. But um, as a sort of a whole performance of Taro Daniel, probably a little disappointed that he lost to Wong. I think he will be, but you know, he has a chance to make up for it in Sydney. And maybe I will pick him again, who knows. Uh, but yeah. He just fell to a phenomenal performance from a very talented youngster. And then in the doubles, we had uh, Segerman and Trhatz. Um, Ryan Segerman, Patrick Trhatz, honestly a pairing that I'm not really that familiar with. But this year, they are 35 and 1 together. And that includes 9 ITF titles. They are literally, I mean, they, they, they never lost in an ITF match so far. They have only played six at the challenger level. Yeah, that's that's a lot. <laughs> Not gonna lie. Oh, sorry, six, uh, four at the challenger level. Uh, I was I was planning to say. Yeah, so they've won nine ITFs, uh, four matches each, and they've also now won the play for challenger, beating Hijikata and Kiger, and also Noguchi Weber and Elise Schoolkate. So. Um, what around these two are at, and they are actually already in the top 400 in the doubles rankings. Uh, the only match they lost was in the Charleston Challenger, where they lost to Schoolkate and Walton in three sets. And um, yeah, let's get to Curitiba then, which actually is probably going to be a bit of a shorter uh, segment here, and that's for a reason, but I'm going to get to it in a second. Ugo Delian won his 10th Challenger title over Oliver Crawford. So uh, interesting for Crawford to disappear off planet Earth after Charleston for three weeks and then come back and make another final. Uh, but anyway, uh, Ugo Delian, he um, had this very good start to the season, right? After coming back after his injury, where we thought that, okay, so this is the Ugo Delian of 2022 all over again, but then a terrible losing streak, generally not doing all that well. Uh, but on the altitude clay courts in Curitiba, he did manage to uh, pull it off. However, I cannot tell you how he won the semis and the final, because that's what, that's what I was referring to. Curitiba just had horrible weather, uh, weather all weekend, basically, and even during the weekdays. Also, uh, there were a few instances where they had to move um, a few matches indoors. I'm going to get to that later. 
but anyway, uh, with Delian, the only the only um, matches that we actually saw for him was round one, round two, and quarterfinals, because on Sunday, Curitiba played the semis and the finals, both indoors, no streaming. It seems like a wonderful physical effort, though. Five and a half hours beating Androtzi and Crawford, even though Crawford had a much shorter semi. And the last um, decide, the deciding set against Crawford was extremely wild. It was 5-2 up for Delian, two match points, then two more match points at like 6-5, and then he wins it in the tiebreak. So yeah, mostly seems like an extremely good physical effort. That's what we can get from the stats, right? Um, a, a person who was there on um, commented on my Twitter, who was there, you know, watching the indoor match live and said that it was beautiful and that easily could have been in the poll of you know challenger match of the week poll that I put out. But uh, obviously he he understood that I cannot do it because no one watched it, basically other than the people. Uh, that that were their life. Always a shame when we get these challengers where they cannot organize the streaming. But um, you know, if they go indoors, but um, well, it is what it is. That we cannot really do anything about it. And uh, Oliver Crawford, yeah, as I said, um, wonderful for him to follow up that Charleston run, even th- even though it's three weeks later. Follow up that Char- Charleston run with another final. Well, even four weeks later, I guess. Uh, if you look at it like that, I mean, between one final to another, he beat Juan Bautista Torres, and that's where we start a wild um, sort of pathway through the draw, because he was the only round two winner who had to finish his match indoors, he was the only quarter final winner who had to finish his match indoors, and then of course the semis and the final, uh, they were both uh, indoors as well. I was actually very surprised that he uh, didn't defeat Dalian, because, you know, I just figured Crawford played Dardari for an hour, Delian played Andreozzi for two and a half. I think there's a clear disparity, especially given that the final has to start in like, you know, just a few hours after that. But eventually Crawford actually didn't um, didn't beat Delian, so he is now 0-2 and two in Challenger finals. Uh, and the semi-finalists uh, that we had, Guido Andreozzi, Luciano Dardari, I'm probably also not going to delve into them. You know, Androzzi, we figured that he's probably going to be pretty good on altitude here. He beat Burucaga, Hugo Carabelli, Clear Junior, and lost to Delian in three sets. And uh, Luciano Darderi, uh, he beat Olivo, Luz, Fikovic. Um, you know, at altitude, that's also a pretty strong route. But I was definitely surprised how easily Crawford beat, beat Darderi today in an hour. But again, that was indoors, no stream, so we cannot really know what happened. I guess indoors, you know, if, if we're looking at Dardari, Crawford, uh, Andreozzi and uh, Dalian, probably Crawford would be the guy to benefit the most, right? Uh, but maybe that's even like more credit to Hugo Dalian that he actually ended up prevailing because he's probably the guy who would benefit the least uh, out of these four. So, um, yeah. But again, we're, we're never going to know how it, <laughs> how it ended up um, sort of working out. And the doubles were won by Guido Andrazzi and Ignacio Caru against Diego Hidalgo and Cristian Rodriguez. They actually played the final on Saturday, but also indoors. So uh, there, there, the conditions, changes were also present. But, you know, what a high-profile final anyway. I mean, Andrazzi, Caru, Hidalgo, Rodriguez. Basically, if you inserted Guillermo Duran here instead of Andrazzi, instead of Caru, of course, that would have been just like last year uh, at the 
pretty sure there was a final like that. But you know, that's uh, nothing to nothing against Ignacio Caru, who is on a on a nice run as well this year and uh, has actually won his second title with Andreozzi along with Tigre at the beginning of the season. But as a whole, he already has four titles this year. It's just two of them are uh, at the ITF level. Uh, Yeah, and the last uh, challenger, so you already know if you are listening closely that this is where I have to get my point. And my point is for Lucas Klein, who won the title as a qualifier. But if you remember last week's episode, he was not a regular qualifier because he was actually the highest ranked player in the field. Uh, He played the qualifying because he wasn't signed up for either the main draw or the qualifying. He actually got in as an alternate into the qualies and won the event. This is his third challenger title, but first this year. And he was the runner-up in 2022, I have to to mention, losing to Borna Goyo. So Klein, uh, in the qualifying, he actually lost two sets. He beat Federico Arnaboldi and Andrea Piccione. Uh, Piccione, he was a breakdown in the decider, although very briefly, Piccione didn't consolidate. But then Klein was much more solid in the ma- in the main draw, beating Paulson, Basic, uh, Dalavale, Harris, uh, Billy Harris, and then Max Kashnikovsky in the final. So there was a Paul in the challenger final for the first time in 2023. Actually, Kashnikovsky was also the first Paul in the challenger semi in 2023. And uh, yeah, I loved every every minute of Klein's run for sure. This is also. Um, uh, you know, makes you think of Jakub, who obviously was Slovak, and I actually think that I was a bigger Klein fan than he was. He was probably more of a Molchan kind of guy, but uh, I know he he liked Klein as well. Um, I we didn't interview him together in Bratislava in 2022 because obviously Jakub talked to Klein in Slovak. Uh, but uh, we sort of did it together because he was first and then I was, uh, well, he was first with some other Slovak journalists and then I was coming over to Klein. So, you know, uh, a lot of memories for sure there. And um, yeah, it brings a smile to my face to even think about it. Uh, So um, yeah, Lucas Klein, definitely a player that I'm very fond of and I uh, wish this season did not go for him as it did because in the first five months of the year, he had this wonderful opportunity, not defending like barely any points until May, and then he just completely wasted it. Um, But um, yeah, who knows? Maybe next year is going to be different. Maybe next year he actually uh, sort of now brings himself to another opportunity like that. Maybe one that won't be as good, but maybe one that won't put this much pressure on him. Uh, But yeah, in the final against Kashnikovsky, it was very clear that he is so much more adept at inject- injecting pace out of nowhere and basically yeah, just creating attacks at will. Uh, and sometimes he was very dynamic with the forehand. But Kashnikovsky kept asking the questions and actually um, for a while it seemed like Klein might be running out of his attacking steam, you know, out of the force that he was playing with. And um, yeah, maybe let's get to the finalist here with Max Kashnikovsky who... Uh, made the final for the first time in his career. He also made the semis for just the second time after Calgary, Calgary last year. Sorry, and um, yeah, Max. I've I've said it a few times, but he uh, to me at the challenger level, he can only really hold up in faster conditions because otherwise he just doesn't really have the weapons. And when he has a serve like this, like in Ortisei, like in Calgary, in Drummondville, 
it, it really elevates his game. It helps him stay on top of the point. He also has a coach that really teaches him a lot in regards to how to play at the net. So Alexander Buri, the former top 100 doubles player. And um, I think the game that they are trying to build for him, it will be better in faster conditions. Although I actually thought that Ortise might be too fast because earlier this year, Max went to um, the US and Puerto Rico, right? So uh, no, Puerto Rico, actually he ended up skipping, but he went to the US for Little Rock and Tyler. And um, he didn't do well there. I mean, he even told me that like the, the bounce was very low and it, the courts were slick and that's not what he enjoys. And I agreed with that, you know, I actually thought that Ortisei might be a bit too fast, but wasn't. He beat Oncleo, he beat Hertz, he beat Borg, he beat Gaio. And yeah, these conditions just really help him to execute the game plan that he's trying to execute. And one that I think further down the line, he sort of has to execute if he's going to like fully make it at the challenger level. I don't think this will bring him to Australia uh, because he's still dropping these Canada points and he's going there. So he might save them, but it's going to be hard to overperform them. Like, you know, outperform them. Uh, but um, anyway, he uh, was really forcing Klein to come up with the goods in the final. He was a lot more steady. He had a beautiful shot at 5-4 um, sorry, in the third set tiebreaker to set up double match point. But then the Klein forehand, the shot that can break down, you know, it's a, it's a pretty complicated motion, long backswing. It actually didn't under pressure. Klein performed this great volley action at 4-6. Uh, then Max gave him a bit of a cheap error for 6-all. Well, it wasn't that cheap, but, you know, still, um, maybe you can blame this one on him. But, you know, this was anyway a great run for, for the pole. And uh, I think um, by the time we got to the final, I honestly was going to be satisfied with either winner. Uh, I like Klein's game a lot. And Max, of course, is a... Um, yeah, I, I've you know I've, I've gotten to meet him privately as well, and, and he's a he's a very nice person. So um, other than the fact that he's Polish, I have definitely have reasons to root for him. And uh, yeah, I was gonna be okay with either winner. I'm glad that the final ended up really delivering and sort of catching the attention of um, you know people who aren't fan of either a fan of either player as well. And uh, yeah, let's get to the semi-finalists. So one of them was, was Federico Gallo. Gallo, I think we've seen a few times that he's better than most clay court specialists off clay and like in faster conditions. You know, this year, for example, he grabbed an indoor hardcourt win over Baez, right? When they switched to indoor hardcourts in Turin. And um, so, so that, that is, wasn't that much of a surprise that he beat Neukrist, Forti and Giacomini, especially as the draw kind of fell apart. Uh, with Marchenko losing especially, uh, but of course Ilya was pretty tired after Bratislava and Hamburg, and he took a set of Kashnikovsky, so I think a very fine performance from the Italian. One that deserves a lot of credit though is Billy Harris, and he's making a serious case for being among the um, Australian Open qualifying field, because in October he's currently 15-3. and three. That includes a quarterfinal in Alicante, quarterfinal in Malaga, Keep in mind that he beat Bautista Good there, number 40 in the world back then. Also a semi in Hamburg, semi in Ortisei, and he's now playing Bergamo Qualis. So um, yeah, the, the form that Bini Harris is in now is really ridiculous. But actually, you know, even a couple of months ago, I remember thinking 290 
career high. No, that that's just plainly wrong. And he easily could be playing Grand Slam qualifying now in terms of his level. So uh, we'll see if he if he manages to get there. And I actually hope he will because, yeah, October has been fantastic from him. And he's going to play Basilashvili in the final qualities round in Bergamo. So that's an exciting matchup tomorrow if, if anyone wants to watch that. And uh, when it comes to the doubles in Ortisei, oh, did I, oh, I, of course I mentioned that, yeah, Klein got me the point. Uh, I was thinking of going for Layal, and I'm glad I didn't, but I went with the risky qualifying option and it uh, managed to pay off. And actually the doubles were won by Andrew Paulson and Patrick Rickl. I have to say that Andrew Paulson is just ridiculous in doubles recently. I mean, he's getting to closer and closer to the top 100 and uh, basically in the past six challengers that he played he's won five titles two of them with Noza one of them with Sachko one with Vbenski one with Rikl and I also have to say that Patrick Rikl I was very disappointed that he lost in the qualifying in the singles because it felt to me like he could have a run uh, but he got into this like very serve-oriented matchup against Hinek Parton and he actually had 13 breakpoints uh, only took two of them whereas Parton actually didn't have any breakpoints until the very last game <laughs> and ended up winning. But uh, yeah, Rikl Paulson, uh, definitely a huge serving pair. And in order to say that, of course, matters quite a lot. They beat uh, Maximilian Neugrist and Jakob Paul in the final. And uh, also, let's get to the match and upset of the week before we get to the previews. I put out the poll as usual, and currently leading is Kashnikovsky Klein. However, I am wondering whether I shouldn't go for a Coleman-Wong match. I just don't know if Skullkate or Taro Daniel. Because, uh, well, I, th I think Kashnikovsky Klein is leading in the poll for two reasons, mostly. One of them is a final. People are always very likely to vote for the finals, I see. And also, m simply more people watch that because Wong, Daniel, Wong, Skullkate, you know, for the European time zone, sometimes even for the American time zone, these... these uh, slots aren't great right so I, I understand why it's like that however just to sort of make um at least you know the five listeners here <laughs> remember that Coleman Wong did have some outrageous thrillers this week I'm gonna pick the match against Taro Daniel as um yeah I think seeing him against a player like that uh, just still completely blasting away and, and ripping every shot and the drama that was there in the third set I think that was really, really enjoyable. But yeah, Kashnikovsky Klein, you know, deserved to be a final and deserves to be among the top three. It's just been a very strong week for, um, yeah, high quality thrillers on the Challenger Tour because you have uh, the two Wong matches. I also think that Kazo Nakashima was exceptional in Brest and I also included it in the poll. It's actually uh, in the second spot right now. But as I said, I think the lack of votes for Wong against Daniel or Wong versus Skullkate, it's mostly uh, the time zones and also the fact that there are two matches of, of his and they are sort of similar, although very different play styles because Wong Skullkate is just, you know, both guys are firing away. Whereas Wong Daniel is, is more of a classic clash of styles, I guess. And when it comes to the upsets, let's look at that. Martinez over Bonzi or Lestien. I mean, that would be a fine choice. I wonder if I'm going to find anything that's bigger. Wong over Daniel, though. Yeah, again, can I pick Wong over Daniel for both matches? Wong over Kokinakis, you know, given that it's a retirement, I'm not going to pick it. But it would have been a massive shock if it wasn't a retirement. Yes, I agree. 
that 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 has to be said. Um, Wilson later over Serundolo, that was some huge odds in Curitiba, but at altitude, I wasn't really shocked. Like Juanma, I just don't trust at all in these conditions. Although Wilson later, you know, at, at 31 years old, getting his first top 200 win, zero out of 16 up until that point. Like it, it is a huge story, undeniably. So um, that's also one of the contenders, I believe. Giacomini over Marchenko, again, I was sort of expecting Marchenko to run out of steam at some point. So yeah, I'm basically stuck with Martinez or Coleman Wong, and I think it has to be Coleman Wong beating Taro Daniel in the semis. I really thought I had, you know, if not a point, then at least the final, the my, the possibility of my pick having playing a final, and uh, that didn't happen. So I end up uh, getting just one point out of this week, and I'm saying just because at some point it felt like two or three is more on the cards. But yeah, Coleman Wong over Taro Daniel actually for both my match of the week and also for my upset of the week. Uh, this was a very Coleman Wong heavy um, seven days. And with that we can get to the previews, right? Uh, there are five events, all of them actually time to 75s. How rare is that, right? That uh, we have five events and all of them are at the same category. I think that, uh, that, that is actually pretty rare. So, um, yeah, let's start with Ismaning, where I am right now, as I've already told you. And, um, yeah, let's just, let's just look at the draw and uh, see what we're going to think about this. I'm also going to mention some stuff from the qualifying, probably. Although, not so much. And also, well, important thing to mention at the very beginning. Um, the, this is the only remaining carpet challenger on the circuit. The surface is extremely fast. It's slick. It favors flat hitters, big servers, but actually everyone is a big server on carpet. So it sort of doesn't at the same time. It's, it's pretty um, fun because like every single match is like, what, 40 minutes a set or something like that. Lots of tie breaks. I think as a, a unique event once a year, it works really well. If there was more carpet on the tour, I don't know if I would welcome it. But as it stands, you know, I had to go there and also the orange color, right? The, the orange colored courts, I think that's something also that uh, stands out. Uh, and um, honestly, live, I've enjoyed uh, Sunday a lot. Uh, we'll see about the rest of the days. I'm going to be here until Saturday. So after, after Saturday, maybe after the semis, maybe after the doubles final, I will be driving back home. But so far, so good. Um, the Sunday was very enjoyable. And uh, the top seed is Dominic Stricker. I was afraid that he might pull out after his Basel run, but apparently not. So that's that's really good for the event, I think. He's going to play a qualifier. Then then one of them will face Moleker or Masur. There's Alibek Kachmazov playing Jan Choinski. By the way, I wonder if maybe this is this will be the event where Alibek Kachmazov finally makes a challenger quarterfinal this year. Because we uh, we chatted about this earlier, I think maybe, or maybe we didn't actually, because this was maybe more so related to the Astana 250. But it's it's pretty wild that he had such a good round there, but he actually hasn't been past the second round at the challenger this year in like 18 attempts or something like that. And I think these courts will, will suit him really well. And uh, Kachmazov or Choinski will play Borg or Krutik. Then there's a um, sort of left out section because Lloyd Harris withdrew, so there's a couple of qualifiers. You've got a, a wild card for Marco Topo playing Oscar Otte. Otte, the 2021 champion. I have to check that actually, but um, I'm pretty sure he, yeah, 2021 champion is exactly right. And um, 
Otherwise, we also have Denis Yevseyev playing Henry Squire, and also sixth, eighth seed, sorry, Mark Andra Hisler playing Mini Polichak. Hisler is the 2020 champion and also should be really dangerous on these courts. You also have uh, fifth seed Damir Jumhur playing Lukas Klein. This is actually an, a rematch of their um, Istanbul final, just like over a month ago. We'll see how much how much uh, gas Klein will have left after Ortisei. Then one of them can face Fatic uh, or a qualifier, so there could, there can be another Jumhur Fatic uh, classic, and this is actually the match of the round for sure. Max Hans Reberg playing Maxim Kresi. Kresi was the runner-up in 2019, the semi-finalist in 2021. Max Hans Reberg was the runner-up last year in 2022. So I'm hoping for fireworks fireworks here. Reberg is generally really dangerous when you can get into like a low bouncing slick court. So. We'll see about that. Then you also have Mate Valkus playing a qualifier in that section. And there's Vitali Sachko facing Timo Stoder, then a qualifier or Arol Mayo. Adrian Andreev is facing a qualifier. And the second seed is Maximian Marterer playing Michel Gertz. So Marterer almost made it back to the top 100 in Antwerp. Maybe he can make it back here. I think he will also be fairly um, dangerous here. So um, speaking of the qualifying, We've had the first round today, and I already have to say that tomorrow, Veseli against Zhuk. Wow, what a match. And in general, I'm really hoping that Zhuk goes pretty deep this week. Um, Kacper uh, has been excellent on these courts the past two years. 2021, he made the um, quarterfinals. He lost to Cressy, a very tight match. And last year, he made the semis, losing to Alice in two tie breaks. So if there's a venue where he can re rebuild himself, I think it could be Ismaning. Today, actually, a bit of a tra trap matchup, I, I think, against Petr Noza. You know, Noza has that monster serve, and I don't care how much he starts focusing doubles. He is still very decent in singles. So, um, yeah, I think uh, it was good that Kasper somehow managed that. A couple of stunning passes in the second set. But now, can he beat Veseli? I actually like his chances. You know, Veseli is so stiff um, that, that I think that Kasper will have a good shot. Uh, there's also another great one between Belier and Durasovic. I enjoy that a lot. I think Durasovic is probably going to win, given that um, anytime I watch him live, he seems to do extremely well and then never follows it up, right? We, we've, we've talked about this before on the, on the show. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a fun experience for sure. It's very different tennis to, to what you usually see, but it actually suits my watching sort of um, preferences pretty, pretty nicely. Uh, so yeah, basically really hoping for Kasper to pull through tomorrow. Uh, am I excited to watch someone in the doubles? Um, out of polls, there's just uh, Shimon Valkov playing with Neil Oberleitner. Um, so, you know, I'm going to watch his matches for sure. Uh, we watched uh, Kasper's match today for a moment, although, um, well, Shimon was only there for like a few games. Uh, otherwise, Aysam Ulhak Kureshi, Petros Tsitsipas, that's a pretty legendary pairing, you have to say. Uh, Andre Begeman, I haven't seen him in a while. And um, yeah, that's probably it, more or less, in terms of what I, what I want to see here in, in doubles. So yeah, uh, who's going to win this in singles? Who's my pick to, to claim the title? Let me think about that. Um, Streaker, I don't know. I don't know if I trust him. Cressy plays Reberg in the opening round, and that's extremely tough. If Klein didn't have Ortisei, I maybe would have been thinking about him. I'm not going for Zhuk out of the qualies now. Uh, Hisler has been really out of form. 
I don't know if Ota even beats Topo. Let's try Maximian Martyrer then. He is in a maybe a bit of an easier section. I'm gonna try Maximian Martyrer. I don't know if this is actually gonna happen and if these cards are even that good for him, honestly. But um, yeah, I think I'm gonna try that. I think he won a Kental in the past, so he should be good on carpet. I don't, I don't think um, you know this will be an issue for him really. So yeah, I'm gonna try Maximilian Martyrer to win and to return to the top 100 for the first time in like, uh, how many, four years or something like that? Maybe three years? Yeah, four years, I think even. Um, then we also have another challenger 75 in Europe, which is in Bergamo. Otto Virtanen is the defending champ, but he's actually not defending his title. So Jack Draper is the first seed. He plays Francesco Maestrelli, then Travaria or Vavasori. Uh, we also have Radu Albot in this section, playing Goffia on Clan and Calvin Emery or a qualifier then. This is a very good one, uh, a British round one between Liam Brody and Arthur Ferry. Who's the favorite now, by the way? Brody or Ferry? I would actually say Ferry. Is that bold? Let me check the odds. Well, okay, Ferry is the minor, like, really insignificant favorite, so apparently it's not as bold as I thought. Uh, then one of them can play, play Nakashima or a qualifier. That's a good section. Gilles Bali can play um, Hugo Grenier. And by the way, Bailly recently announced that he is going to college in Texas, just where uh, his brother is also there, Pierre-Yves. Um, I think it's a good call. Uh, I think he will have some issues, you know, with his game profile so far on the Pro Tour, like sort of trying to make it fully in challengers. But um, at the same time, I'm kind of surprised because, yeah, it seems like his results are getting better and... Uh, but we'll see how he manages that, you know, of course college, he doesn't have to be there for four years. Fabio Fonini is also there with a wildcard and the eighth seeding. And David Goffin is the fifth seed, playing Vincent Ruggeri or, and then Passaro or Moreno Dalboran. Alex Molchan is the fourth seed, playing Matteo Gigante and then Brauer or Gallo. We also have Giulio Zepieri as the sixth seed, he can play a qualifier, then qualifier or Lidi. And Flavio Coboli got, got another wildcard here as, a, as the second seed. And he also plays a qualifier and then a qualifier or Czemilka. So, um, yeah, what do I do here is the question, and I'm not sure. Hugo Blanchet in the qualities, the qualities, but I'm probably not gonna go for him. Kukushkin, I'm interested to see how he does. I remember Bergamo playing pretty okay for his preferences. Billy Harris as well, I already mentioned that earlier that he's playing Basilashvili, so that's a very exciting final qualities round. Mark Layal uh, today really struggled to beat Ryan Nipoer. Uh, I don't know if he's gonna pull through Pierre Gerber, but he could be a very dangerous dark horse, like sleeper pick in this draw if he makes it. So yeah, what do I go for here out of Bergamo? Mm, probably just Jack Draper, right? He has had a couple of weeks of rest now. Well, a couple of weeks, maybe not, but he has had some rest since Tokyo, where, of course, against Alex de Minor, he didn't really hold up physically, but it was a very long match at super high intensity. I think here he probably can still win the title, and it would be foolish not to go for Jack Draper. I I, I think so. Um, yeah, Brody, Ferry, Nakashima, that's just such a strong section. Gigante, Molchan, Gofeu, no, they don't really have that... Uh, quality at the moment to me and Koboli I know he's recently won hard, on hard courts but well not won but made the final but indoors well he can be fine indoors but fine not Draper 
level. So yeah, I'm just going Jack Draper. I think it would be stupid not to. Uh, Charlottesville is another event. We are back in the States now and we are back for that three-week stretch that Ben Shelton won last year with Champaign, Charlottesville and Knoxville. Obviously, Shelton is not defending his title. He is in Paris, the ATP 1000. But uh, it's an exciting draw anyway. Uh, the American challengers were gone for two weeks, so we got some chance to you know, sort of recover and get back to the familiar matchups. But actually, they're not as familiar this time. Michael Moe plays Steve Johnson in the first round. That's a blockbuster right there. Then Richard or McHugh. And this is huge. Riley Opelka is coming back. He was gone since Washington 2022. And actually, he hasn't played the Challenger since Dallas 2019. So over four years. And he's going to play Tennis Sandgren already in the opening round. And then one of them will face a qualifier. Benoit Per comes over to the States. And he plays a qualifier. Then Gerhor a qualifier. Bernie Tomic plays Emilio Nava, that's a huge one in the opener as well, then Kruger qualifier, Adam Walton is back in the States of course, playing a qualifier, then Tyson Kwiatkowski or Baby Zhukaev. Just a couple of weeks ago, by the way, we had a 15k final between Tomic and Kwiatkowski, that's pretty huge, but uh, no stream, it was in Las Vegas. Kwiatkowski plays Zhukaev, as I said, Elliot Spitziri, the number one college player, plays Nino Serdarusic, and then Martin Dam Zakaris Fajda, that's a big one. I mean, Dam after that that run in Bratislava. And then Svajda, of course, on a fantastic run himself. Yeah, I, I wonder what the odds are there. I mean, Svajda must be a pretty big favorite anyway, right? Yeah, but it's like, you know, Dam has a shot. And I, I do think that he should have a shot. Denis Kudla plays Chris Rodesh, another college player from, uh, from Luxembourg. And apparently from somewhere around Charlottesville, because he has a wild card here. And then Patrick Kipson or Gabriel De Bru, De Bru going to the States. That's that's really interesting as well. And then we also have Kenan Kingsley facing Alex Mickelson in the first round. And then the one of them can face Gomez or Holt. So what are we going for here? I mean, surely not Michael Moe, surely not Riley Opelka. They just have, like, their first round matchups are too tough. Benoit Perna, Bernie Tomic against Emilio Nava. You know what? Um, Earlier this month, like year, well, like a month ago, I said that I'm just going to keep going Alex Mickelson because I think until the end of the year, he eventually wins one. I'm not so sure anymore. <laughs> um, he was like just slightly disappointing in the last three challengers in the States that we got. But I don't really have another option in mind. You know, Canon Kingsley, it's, it's, it's definitely a, a threat in the opening round. But if he beats him, that opens up. I cannot really go for Svajda. Having Dam in the sec in the first round, Spitziri in the second, Walton in the quarters, for example, or even Zhukaev. Yeah, I, I'm just going to go with Alex Mikkelsen. Although my level of confidence that he's actually going to win more is not, uh, like more challengers this year is not as high anymore. I have to admit that. Uh, another challenger we have in Guayaquil, so we are maintaining the um, South American streak. Uh, by the way, this week we also had the Pan American Games, so some of the players that we're going to see here were there, and Facundo Diaz Acosta won the gold medal, although I think from the semi-finalists of the Pan American Games, he's probably the only one here, right? Because I don't see Barrios, I don't see Monteiro, and I don't see Haida. So anyway, uh, the first seed is... 
Federico Coria. Oh, by the way, I didn't mention the qualifying in Charlottesville. Uh, but um, yeah, let me see if there's anyone that I might want to think of in terms of main draw prospects. Stefan Kozlov is, well, back. Ethan Queen, Evgeny Karlovsky, Alafia Yeni, that's a fun final round. But yeah, no, it doesn't change my opinion about who might be winning the main draw. So with Gaia Kiel, we have Altmaier as the defending champion, but he's also in Paris, not defending his title. So Federico Coria is the top seed playing a qualifier, then Agamemnon or Oliver Crawford, the last week runner-up from Curitiba. Andres Andrade plays Mateus Puccinelli de Almeida, then Tabilo or a qualifier. I think Tabilo was at the Pan American Games. Juan Manuel Serundolo in Guayaquil. Again, I'm not sure he's going to like the conditions too much, but we'll see. Uh, he plays Buruchaga in the opening round. Although, actually, Guayaquil is not that high, right? Guayaquil is actually not at altitude, though. Sorry. Yeah, I, I, I started thinking about it, and, and that's true. So, um, because then I remembered like the last year's final, right? I mean, Altmaier playing Korea, and I remembered these matches, and I realized that it wasn't altitude. So, actually, Serundolo is back to what he likes here playing Boruchaga, then Gilan Meza. Oh, I'm excited to see him here. Uh, he's had a couple of good challenger runs earlier and also ITFs he's been dominating, so uh, with a wildcard here. Then Lucas Neumeyer can play Gilan Meza and then Serundolo potentially in the second round. That's pretty tough. Ugo Carabelli plays Reis da Silva and then Darterio Stina. Meligeni Alves, my pick from Curitiba last week, is here, but I don't know if I'm going to go for him. He plays a qualifier, then another qualifier, actually. There's a section full of qualifiers. You've got Murkel Delian playing Facundo Diaz Acosta. That's an interesting one. I, I wonder how much Diaz Acosta is going to have left in the tank. There's Ugo Delian as well, the Curitiba champion, playing Nick Hart. Uh, one of them can face Rodriguez Taverna or Tristan Boyer. Tristan Boyer was also at the Pan American Games, by the way. And we also have Daniel Elahi Galan as the second seed, picking up a wildcard, playing Kilian Feldbausch in the opening round. And then Elias Immer or Rodrigo Pacheco Mendes. So Elias Immer traveling to Guayaquil. That's that's quite interesting too. Uh, in the qualifying, hmm, Juan Bautista Torres, maybe. Nicolas Mejia, maybe. Carlos Taberner, but he actually struggled against Wilson later. So, oh, and we have another Peruvian clash of Gonzalo Bueno, Ignacio Busse. I think this has already happened uh, at an ITF final very recently. So um, these are the two top 10, former top 10 juniors from Peru, you know, the hopes of Peru, of Peruvian tennis after Varias. Uh, so that's quite exciting. Uh, also, Campania Lee is here. I wonder how he's going to do. First needs to play, beat Zaneato to get in the, into the draw. Maybe a qualifier will actually have a nice time here because, well, there's that section full of qualifiers and if Diaz Acosta is tired. Um, I'm going to go for something slightly more conventional, though, and I'm going to try my luck with Daniel Elahi Galan. Feldbausch, I think, is not quite there yet, especially on clay. At Elias Immer in the second round is tough, but then maybe it opens up a bit if Ugo Delian is, is tired. Um, I, you know, the... the, the the fact that we're seeing Galan here is already pretty interesting, right? He hasn't been playing these challengers too much recently since he sort of jumped to the main tour. But I guess now he's forced to play this in order to secure the Australian Open main draw. Uh, how many challengers has he played this year? Helbron, Turin, Cagliari. Of course, I watched him in Cagliari. We even had him on the show in Cagliari, actually. 
Sarasota, Mexico City, yeah, so five challengers. I'm gonna try Daniela Higalan, yeah, let, let's see how that goes. Uh, not too confident, I think this draw is very well sort of spread out and quite even in terms of the winning chances for many players. And the last challenger we have 75 in Sydney, so the second part of the um, Australian swing, if you may. Yusu Su, the defending champ, but he's also not there. By the way, is that all five defending champions not playing after a year? I suppose so, right? Korea, Shelton, Yusu Su, uh, Alice, and Virtanen, yeah. So that kind of tells you, you know, how um, a lot of the time the defending cha like the the one who the player who wins the cha who wins the challenger is likely not to be there next year on the challenger tour on the ATP tour it, it works differently for sure um, so anyway let's see the major we have Tanasi Kokinakis facing Philip Pelli for the opening round <laughs> I mean I know Philip is like really far off the challenger level at the moment. But it's still pretty saddening that he like went to Australia and he gets Mark Polmans and Philippe Pelivo in the first rounds. <laughs> but anyway, uh, one of them can face, well, Kokinakis probably, can face Sekulich or a qualifier. That would be huge. Then we also have Seung Chan Hong playing Ryo Noguchi and then Nakagawa or a qualifier. Uh, James Duckworth, number four seed, honestly a pretty good draw. I mean, he plays the qual a qualifier, then a qualifier or lock and then Polman's Sinclair, Weber or Bradshaw. Like this is a really good draw for Duckworth to go deep if he if this is possible. Uh, I don't know if this is possible for him physically, but it's a good draw. Shintaro Mochizuki playing Omar Jasika, that's gonna be interesting. I mean, I think this is Shintaro's first event since Tokyo, right? Since that famous run. I, I have a feeling that he's actually gonna, well, I don't know if disappoint, but that he's simply not gonna show anything special, that this was a bit of a one-time thing, but we'll see. Uh, Yuta Shimizu or Kaichi Uchida in the second round, lots of Japanese players in that section because Taro Daniel is also playing Yasutaka Uchiyama and then Ellis or Savi, uh, number 8 seed is Tristan Skulkate, then he, he plays a qualifier, then Sweeney or McCabe, so this is a section with a lot of talented young Aussies and there's also Rinki Hijikata as the second seed playing a qualifier and then Marinkov or Coleman Wong. Uh, so we might actually get our third final in a row of Duckworth Wong. We probably won't because these guys are going to be running very low on steam by now. But, you know, it is theoretically possible. There is a, there is a chance. Um, in other words, we also have the qualifying. <laughs> and uh, who could it be here who's going to do some damage? Nam Huang Le playing Moria in the final round. That's actually really good. Um, Segerman of doubles fame is also in the final qualities round. Uh, yeah, but I don't think anyone will be really that dangerous as with usual as, as usually with this um, these Australian challengers. Like the top seeds are strong, but the actual you know depth of the field isn't fully there. So I think I'm gonna follow up on my previous pick from last week and just try Taro Daniel. Just just gonna try that he wins one of these two. Although I don't like the Uchiyama round one, but that's my best idea here. Kokinakis was sick last week. He plays Sekulic round two. I don't know. I feel like he might disappoint again. Duckworth, even though I like his section, I'm scared to go for him just because, you know, he will be going for a third title in a row. And I know this happens, you know, 2021 Greek Sport and Bonzi, 2022 Shelton, 2023 Max Purcell. 
but it's still fairly rare. And if he has to play something like Kokinaki's semi, let's say Taro Daniel final or Rinki Hijikata final or even Shintaro Mochizuki or Coleman Wong again, it could be rough for uh, Duckworth to, de- to keep delivering. So yeah, I'm gonna try Taro Daniel. I'm just gonna sort of base this on, an, on the idea that if he plays two of these Australian challengers, which are slightly weaker after all, let's say he wins one. Uh, that's, that's what I'm gonna bank on. Yeah, and uh, let's see. So, uh, that's gonna be it for the day then, then, then guys. Uh, in a week, I'm gonna be back hopefully with some exciting Ismaning content. And uh, yeah, I'll see you guys then when I'm gonna discuss Ismaning, Bergamo, Sydney, Charlottesville, and uh, Guayaquil. Um, thanks for listening as usual, and uh, see you soon.